Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the purposes of parody, support for all the roost comes from MailChimp. From MailChimp. Mail. More than 7 million businesses around the world use a MailChimp to send emails, newsletters, and deliver high fives. MailChimp sends better emails. I use MailChimp. You do? Hello, boys and girls. Um, I don't. I, I don't know why I always say that. It's a bit weird, boys and girls, isn't it? Should I, I, I'm not going to say that anymore. But welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. I'm uh, I'm your host. Fuck you, the trunk. And I'm joined by Mr. Raj Baines as ever. Hello, Raji Baines. How you doing? I'm not too bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Um, I take it that anyone that listens to Serial Podcast will get our weird little intro bit. Um, Otherwise, would they think we've actually been sponsored by somebody and somebody actually wants to give us money for this? No, but we're, we're, we're not actually being sponsored. Um, <laughs> Just in case anyone legal yeah. is listening. But MailChimp, if you uh, want to give us some money, you know, we wouldn't take it because we're not going to sell out. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't be averse to taking a bit of money for this with you, Baines. And given the stick I usually give people for <laughs> their financial doping in the game, for me to then be taking backhanders from an email provider would seem quite uh, hypocritical, wouldn't it? But if they do want to email me directly and we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. we, we won't talk about you on Twitter or on the show, but you know, if you just want to give us some money, then that'd be all good. Um, so yeah, still uh, an international break, so there's there's not a Tottenham game to talk about as such. We just kind of picked over the carcass of Stoke last week. Um, be sure to listen to that on iTunes or on SpursStatman.com. I usually save those things to the end, but yeah, listen to last week's international pod break. Um, we do have Hull away coming up this week, and we'll be hearing from the Premier League owl. Seb, um, a bit later on in the show. But I guess one development that's happened in the world of Tottenham Hotspur this week is that we are, rather surprisingly, managing to prize Paul Mitchell um, away from, obviously, a vastly superior club to ourselves in in Southampton. Um, do, do, Do you know much about this? I am obviously being massively sarcastic. Have a look at, uh, have a look at my Twitter timeline for some Nice Southampton fan trolling, um, but are you, uh, are you are you surprised about this this Paul Mitchell deal, Raj? And I mean, what do you think it signifies for Pochettino? I think it's quite a good sign for Pochettino, isn't it? That we're trying to mirror some sort of the the infrastructure he had at Southampton. Um, I'm not particularly well versed with with the ins and outs of of what he's done. I've seen the players that he was involved with buying the good and the bad. 
Um, I've heard what his role supposedly entails. Um, that doesn't always mean that's the role he's going to be given at Tottenham because uh, Lord only knows that the layers of bureaucracy, even at our club, rarely ever function in the manner that they're uh, advised to. Um, but I think it's 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 a sign of support, really, for the manager that we're going for somebody like that. I think the only other person that we could have really tried to get in um, who's in a similar sort of vein to that would be Nicola Cortese, um, the guy who, who ran the club, uh, I think, at Southampton. Um, but Franco Baldini will, I imagine, stay in a job and they'll work side by side. I think, I think it gives a clearer impression of what Baldini's role is. He's almost some sort of like a police negotiator, I think. Like we, we fly him in when a deal's almost done and get him to thrash out the uh, the particulars. So uh, at least we, we sort of have an idea of what everyone's doing at the club, hopefully, uh, to some sort of extent. But um, I wouldn't see it as a bad thing. Um, I've, I've found it quite amusing how upset Southampton have been getting at us um, because they they seem to have a real... Real passionate dislike for us. Which, you, you can understand it in a way. You, you can. Like, we've consistently kind of targeted them. For we're players. like their version of we're we're like their version of Real Madrid, which probably <laughs> says a, a lot more about them than it does us. The fact that Tottenham can be their Real Madrid, but I think what I, yeah. what I find quite funny about it is the. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's all good for for a team to have delusions of grandeur because Spurs would be nothing without that. Um, and it's something I quite well, yeah. It's something I quite like about Southampton, um, in a in a weird kind of way. But th- there is still a massive level of delusion in their fan base. You will regularly see a lot of them um, come out with things like, you know, Pochettino took a backward step joining a smaller club, yada yada yada. And you think, you know, do 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 you actually think Southampton are a, are a bigger club than Spurs? Really, you know, come on, like as. I suppose you, I you, thought you, you were pro- genuinely asking me. No, that. no, but I mean, like, I'm sure it's it's a bit unfair to that because you're going to have tools in any fan base, and you you probably have any Spurs, a, a number of Spurs fans that would argue to the death that we're a bigger club than Arsenal. But I think everyone in their heart of hearts knows that we're not. You know, it's just it's just a simple fact that I think we're we've not. probably got fans that would argue we're the biggest club in the world if they were given a chance. To, true, to be honest. true. Um, but you know, I, I've, I've I do have a level of of respect for Southampton, but at the same time, I just like trolling people, Schadenfreude or however you pronounce it. You know, like it's it's fun to revel in other people's uh, misfortune. But at the moment, you you can imagine from from their perspective. As I said not long ago, like the manager that's left them and all of the players that left them for dead are really struggling um, and they're absolutely flourishing. So you, you, you'd be loving life as a Southampton fan at the moment, really, wouldn't you? Yeah, for now, I imagine you'd be quite happy. They are being very, very cocky about Until it. Until the and, wheels uh, come off and they actually play some real teams, but you know. I think, uh, I think they... The cockiness that they're showing at the moment may at some stage come back to bite them in the arse because there is often these sides that start the season very well and once they quote-unquote get found out, as it were, they they, they, they do do a little bit worse than what they are currently. Um, So I wouldn't want to to big them up too much as as some people are doing. Some people are going exactly uh, the opposite to what the rhetoric was in the summer of them doing so poorly and now they've kind of shine them as an as an example club for the rest of the league 
And while there is elements of truth in in both camps that you know they won't do as well as as they think they might long term, and that they're not as bad as they might be long term either. As always, the truth is somewhere between the two 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 schools. Two schools, schools of thought. Um, I don't think I don't think they, sh- they should be as necessarily as cocky as they are currently being. Do you, uh, just to go back to Paul Mitchell? Um... I've, I've tried to Google it now, and I've just found a load of hair products. To be honest, and I've been looking up Paul Mitchell. Do you, do you have a, the list of the players he has signed? Um, because I've, I've heard people talking about that, saying you know he's been responsible for some blinders and for some duds. But I, I don't actually know who he has signed or hasn't. I've just heard about his uh, black box, as it were, that he that he relies upon. Uh, what's the black box? I've not heard about that. While well, I'm looking for this list, can you enlighten us with the black box story? I certainly can. Well, w- what I've been led to... Let me just, I'll, I'll just... He's not a handsome man. I've just seen a photo of him, Google him, and he's, he looks a bit like a dishevelled version of um, like Danny Murphy, I think, like Danny Murphy's older brother that perhaps enjoys a beer a bit too much. <laughs> he... <laughs> the... I hope the club don't listen to this because we're going to get blacklisted very quickly. We're not That's already. But fuck him. Um, I don't think our, our PR department is, you know, together enough to understand that perhaps listening to what the fans are saying in this sort of medium would be good. It's not big enough yet, is it? I think like we'll, we'll we'll get there maybe one day if people can open their hearts to. We know they've got a, a bank of. 100 people analysing every word that's said on the fighting cock because they don't quite understand the code in which they speak yeah. to to raise the masses. So my, yeah, my uh, my verbosity, I think, puts people off. As I liked your little rebuke. Anyway, we'll talk about this later on. The black box. Um, <laughs> this this is apparently it's it's some kind of massive computer system that they have at Southampton that just allows them to call up I, I believe it's highlights. I'm not sure if it's video highlights or like performance kind of highlights. So say like football manager style grid plotting highlights and stats of pretty much any player and their performance stats um, over the season. I'm just having a look now. I'm reading the Telegraph review about it. Um, the black box is not used solely for identifying players but also analysing Southampton's own squad and future opponents. For example... So Black Box is some software? I think so, yeah. Um, but I think it's more of a kind of an overall system. Um, I don't think Black Box... It sounds cooler name. than what it is. Yeah, um, let's have a look. Uh, for example, when Arsenal offered £16 million for Callum Chambers during the summer, part of Southampton's decision-making was based on the assessment that they already had a superior right-back in Nathaniel Klein. Not a bad assertion, in my opinion. Black Box is doing quite well so far. Um, Mitchell believes that the Black Box was really something unique to Southampton. So what have we fucking signed Mitchell for then if he's just using this Black Box? He's got he's got Black Box on a floppy disk and that's what we've actually signed. He's, he's doing some corporate espionage for us and he's nicked. He's nicked the uh, the software We'd, for us. I, um, I, I want to be in the uh, the the IT meeting where Franco Baldini gets taught how to use black box on his computer. That's going to be amusing. If you watch like if you watch enough TV programs like you and I do, you'll know that <laughs> the way computers work. Like you know, like when the FBI are looking for a target amongst the crowds, you just type it, really really quickly. Types, so you'll have like the luddite kind of lead guy detective, and it's genuine generally 
like a young, attractive female sidekick that's really good with computers, who he'll say, can you search for white men in the crowd? And she'll be like, yep, coming right up and just type something. And then suddenly this computer program will pick out all the white men in the crowd. And it will say, can you enhance on that guy who's three miles away in the background, whose face is obscured by a bush? Do you know what I mean? She'll be like, yeah, okay, and type something in. And somehow or another, this program will like, it'll all like pixelize for a second. And then it will come out like the deadly clear, you know, and maybe that's... The um, the last that used to play, no, probably still does actually plays uh, Chloe on 24 is probably the best example of that. <laughs> and uh, she, I remember reading an interview with her when they said to her, you know, when you were given the computer scenes, what did you used to do? And she went, oh, it was a blank screen, the CGI in the, uh, what's coming on the screen. And I just used to sit there and really quickly, as fast as I could, type my own name <laughs> into the keyboard. <laughs> and that was her acting. So I think that, given that that's their, uh, that's their school of thought. Um, I wouldn't think there were, there were too many computer experts, but I found the, uh, the only list of his signings I can find are the ones that, turned out to be shit, which gives you the sort of mentality that Spurs fans have, that the only signings they're interested in that this man has made yeah. is telling let's, everyone... Let's to highlight play. this man's failures. Welcome yeah, to he signed. Yeah, he signed Foreign, awesome. uh, who I don't think has ever played for him. Uh, Tedair, who came on loan and then left on loan within the space of about exactly, a month. He was fat and even smoked shorter. and stuff, wasn't he? He's fat and smoked and had a drinking problem, I think. Who's that Tedair? Yeah. I think it was an attitude problem. I'm not sure whether or not he was living the Berbatov lifestyle or not. Um, Danny Osvaldo, as we probably know, just started nutting people at training. Well, he's a good player, though, so uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of a tough one, isn't it? He's like the physical equivalent of what Adebayor's mentality is. With <laughs> like, he, he will like psychologically harm his managers by like undermining them by keeping his bobble hat on and just doing the opposite things to what he was told to at training and just causing a fuss, whereas Osvaldo would just go straight out and hurt someone. Uh, he also was responsible for Gaston Ramirez, who's at Hull now on loan, uh, which is a nice little bridge. I think it's, it's, it's harsh to call Gaston Ramirez a flop, isn't it? Well, he's the one that's being banded about in the list. He he hasn't done as well as you'd perhaps want him to. He's a very young footballer, and very raw one, very good um, when he wants to be. Um, he, he's similar to... Well, you you kind of compare him to Coutinho, I'd guess. Um, but as I've as I've said numerous times before, the the reason he hasn't flourished as much as perhaps he could have done is because he just wasn't doing the work that Pochettino wanted him to do within within the side, um, which was a major failing, and that's why he's been been uh, kind of cast to one side. I'm surprised that Kuman hasn't. Uh, try to get the best out of him because uh, you, you thought new management might might help. There may be an attitude issue there um, with him, uh, which you don't. Being very stereotypical here, but you don't usually get that sort of attitude issue with Uruguayan footballers. I mean, with the the list of things that you can fault Luis Suarez for, and believe me, we have before <laughs> quite to with, our, with, our joy. with pleasure. Uh, yeah, you can never fault his his attitude towards the game no. in terms of his his what will to win and his his application. And if anything, you'd say he does that a little bit too much, yeah. which leads him to, you know, calling people racist names numerous times and biting them. Uh, he also <laughs> signed uh, Mayuka, who again hasn't played too much, and Gazaniga, who I think out of the fifteen to twenty players, he's probably been 
involved with signing there, the the six flops as they, as they're being bandied about. So um, if if anyone has a full list, let us know. But essentially, since Southampton came to the Premier League, the sort of players they've been purchasing, so the ones that have come off and done really well, the Peller and um, Tadic and, and things that are doing really well this season, Wanyama. Um, these are players that apparently I was reading, or I can't remember if I was told or not. Um, can't remember where it's come from. I'm probably just plagiarising someone else now, but it definitely wasn't me who worked this out. But um, Southampton apparently had the names of uh, Tadic and Peller already down on their their you know scouted players and players they were interested in signing this summer before Cumin had even come to the club. Imagine it was probably on this black box system as you were speaking about. And um, because that's what I keep thinking of. I've been wanting to do that ever since we've been talking about black box. But... Uh, I'm impressed that you managed to hold it in for as long as you did. Yeah, um... I just thought I'd interject. It's my kind of my Tourette's, my impression Tourette's. <laughs> you sounded nothing like the the woman that sings that song. Wow! Right? I think that's quite good, isn't it? <laughs> if, if somebody wants to know. Who's never heard "Right on Time" by Black Box? Is it called "Right on Time"? I think it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, "Right on Time" by Black Box. Then you're gonna uh, you're gonna get yourself a, a new banging club anthem uh, to oh, to listen to. You listened but to I can't remember where you fucking cut me off halfway through. What I was trying to explain then. Um, essentially, Southampton had already scouted this players. They asked Cooman during some sort of interview process, "Which players do you want to sign?" He said the two players that they'd already you know, identified and then they sort of went, Oh, that marries quite nicely. We'll cost we'll buy them for you. Um and that was that was really it to be honest. So Paul Mitchell is at is at the club. There we go. Well I, I just think it's good like you were touching on earlier that it just shows that, you know, it allays any of these kind of fears that there is going to be any ridiculous knee jerk sacking of Pochettino. This is this is a clear kind of you know marker in the in the ground as it were that he's he's not going anywhere anytime soon although in saying that you know you can't imagine it's gonna <laughs> signing some obscure backroom member of staff isn't gonna stop us sacking a manager to be fair but still. yeah he's not officially joined yet as yet as he's only handed in his um handed in his, <laughs> his notice it, 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 it's quite funny that isn't it like how uh, you kind of how that's a man who's attracting a lot of press attention, so on and so forth, but just for doing something that's pretty much, you know, like someone would do in a normal job. You always yeah. expect football to be kind of, yeah, can you, can you imagine a, a footballer handing in their notice, you know? Well, they do um, in the sense that they hand in uh, transfer I suppose, reports. yeah. But football contracts as I think Troy touched on when we spoke to him especially managerial ones don't really conform to employment law by any sort of standard because they they mean completely different things the fact that you I mean if you did if you had like a bad week at work they couldn't just sit you down on the Friday and sack you there on the spot <laughs> and then have somebody else in your role the next day the way they do in football it's um it's a bit different to be honest um so the, I think the fact that it it was such a normal thing, as you say, that he's he's handed in his thing. The the rumours are that he's going to come to us. Um, it's you know it's it's a bit normal to be honest, but I'm not sure whether or not you can be done for tapping up members of staff because if he's if he's handed in his notice there, he's obviously you know with the view of already having another job. So we'll we'll soon see whether or not that. I'm sure there'll be a 
a well-timed club statement at some point that we're huge fans of. Yeah. My favourite point was in the period in the summer this year where there was a a different club statement every day regarding the Kane High people. So I imagine we'll we'll see something similar. Well, a well-drafted PR. Piece. Those club statements just gave away literally nothing more than they were obliged to. Well, you wouldn't want to, would you? As true. I think true. we discussed uh, last podcast with the the bloke from the Evening Standard. Uh, that's what he wrote for, wasn't it? Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, they're, they're quite a secretive club. They only say what they have to, really. So I think that's one of the instances where they probably um, can be forgiven for doing so because there's very few businesses that would want to give that sort of sensitive information away um, without really... Uh, having to I've, I've got to say on the uh <laughs> on the day that we did sign well or not sign i should say but the day this paul mitchell talk came out there was also a load of headlines about andrew mitchell the mp that called like a policeman a fucking pleb or was alleged to have called a policeman a fucking pleb so i suddenly i'm seeing this like mix of mix of headlines on the front of like various newspapers and things like mitchell you know, plebgate, row, blah, 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 blah. And I think like, it just took me for a few seconds of like, oh, for fuck's sake, what have we already signed this bloke and there's some sort of controversy surrounding him? But, you know, a bit of careful investigating revealed that it wasn't that. There's a little insight into my very exciting life, listeners. I thought you were going to segue into some sort of uh, no. EastEnders to chat about no, uh, just... the Mitchell brothers or something. Oh, please give me some credit. Um, Do you not have to... I thought it was... Punishable by death if you were from like London, the, the greater London area, and you had to watch EastEnders. It, it's like Emmerdale up here. We, Emmerdale has to be on the television, otherwise you uh, you you get asked to leave. No, 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 mate. I'm not, I'm not. I won't stand for it. Don't stand for soaps. Um, yeah, let's let's. Well, you you can you talk know, to. Oh, yeah, I often on. I often wonder why people from other countries listen to us because. Most of most of our cultural references are so English and are so like uniquely English that I feel like somebody who listens to this in America is just going to be sat there googling Emmerdale. They've probably heard of EastEnders. In fairness, that's that's big enough in it. But Emmerdale, especially, they ain't going to heard of that. They ain't going to heard of that. They won't have heard of that. <laughs> um, well, I think yeah, we can look at it as we're kind of like we're a cultural learning service. There you go. Maybe that's why it's, it's educational. Let's see how the let's see how the working man talks. In uh... we should do like a a band of the week and give them like an English band of the week to go and listen to and things like that. This week, busted. No, muck busted. Now there you go. Listen no. to muck busted. That's... Why would you start on there? That's just horrible. It's proper music, mate. They're better than the Beatles, at least. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even saying that. Joking. Oh dear, Raz. Um, or just say <laughs> generally di- say better than disappointed. Say they're better than Radiohead and just get Rob to listen to that section. Rob Brown, yeah. friend of the show, for anyone that doesn't like in jokes. The one friend of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's move on to Hull because we've been nattering on about Paul Mitchell for too long. Um, so we're joined, as ever, by another... You say our only friend of the show is Rob Brown. Someone who I would like to call a friend of, if not part of the show now. Um, Mr. Seb... I'm not going to say his full name in case he doesn't want us to. So Seb, no, the on, Premier League it's on, out. It's on, it's on Twitter now, his full name. Well, look on Twitter then. Here he is. Seb, welcome back onto the show. 
Thanks, Rod. Thanks for having me again. How have you been? I've been I've been strangely good. I um I've enjoyed the peace of the international break and I've enjoyed the time off and I've even enjoyed a little bit of the international football, which is quite unusual for me. But it's been um you know, away from um away from all the meltdowns that are going on at about four or five different Premier League clubs, it's been actually nicely tranquil. It's been good. I know with you being on people are gonna expect us to talk about football, but um We'd probably be more comfortable discussing rugby between the two. Of us. Should we? Well, we you know, should we just turn this into a rugby league podcast just for well, the? Kind you of... know what? It would be a dream <laughs> come true if we could sit here for an hour and discuss how best we think Sam Burgess will transition between one code to the other. I think, I think it'd be, I'd be in my element to uh, to alienate the audience. I think it would be a kind of a, a blaze of glory moment for all the roofs, but it would. Um, I don't know. We'd enjoy it. That's the main thing as well. That's the only reason me. That's the only reason me and Jet do it. We don't. We don't pay a second, uh, second bit of blind bit of difference to us what the uh, audience think, as they can probably tell. But um, I, I do best just to not tell Jack what we've done either, and just wait till he'd listen to it. Because out of the two of us, he actually listens to it back for some sort of strange quality control reasons that I never understand. And uh, well, just tell him we had a we had a really good chat about Hull to his surprise when he uh, comes on and hears this. Well, not only that, Hull's kind of non-specific too, because you know we we could we could crowbar rugby league into a whole conversation, and it was it is famously a rugby league town. They've got exactly. two two very good rugby league sides there: um, Hull Kingston Rovers and, and Hull FC. And one of them actually does play at the KC Stadium. Yeah, so they'll probably there won't be any lines there. I quite enjoy it when KC's on like match of the day and whatnot, and you can see the Super League lines having been drawn in. Because I just, uh, I make the odd in-joke to my dad, you know, when somebody hits the ball, I go, 40-20 there, dad, they don't get the ball back from that. <laughs> Nobody else understands, but... <laughs> as long as you laugh along to yourself, it's really all that matters. It's, yeah, somebody but... somebody kicks it over and it's over the game line. Com- conversion, two points. We've not changed the scoreboard. Uh, Jack's going to have a strong word with you after that. <laughs> Derailed it. <laughs> tells me off for, for goading people that come on, but I think when me and you are on, then we just kind of uh, no cut loose. Exactly. Uh, anyway, no. to, to speak about Hull and be serious for a second, okay. um, they seem to be doing really well towards the tail end of last season with the FA Cup final and whatnot. They, sh- they should have won that. They should have. Yeah. The clearance off the line and whatnot that could have made them go three and a up there, they should have seen that out. Really, it's disappointing from everyone's point of view that isn't an Arsenal fan that they didn't hold on. Everyone um, does that day, really. That was just a bad day for football, really. Exactly, and um, their summer seemed to be quite well. They, they, they signed well, apart from probably Jake Livermore for seven million pounds, which I, I still don't understand that fee for him. That's that's probably the bonus of Daniel Levy, the fact that he managed to. Extract such large amounts for for quite basic players. Well, they also spent eight million. I think it was eight on uh, on Snodgrass, who's hasn't kicked a ball for you know three months. Oh, he's fractured his kneecap or something. He's out uh, for the full season, isn't he? That's, that's is that full season? I thought it was. I thought it was about February, but maybe full season. I, I don't know. But he. I mean, again, regardless, there's another huge amount of money to be playing for. Um, Robert Snodgrass is quite a good player, but he's not eight million pounds worth of good player. Uh, they did sell Sean. Is it Sean Long? Oh, Shane, Shane, Long. Shane Long, yeah. Sean oh, Long's again, huge. Rugby League. Yeah. Sean Long, Sean Long, play for St. Helens, that's why. Yeah, no, another, another audience, another member of the audience just, yeah. just cut it off, just thought, no, nah, I'm, I'm not listening this week. Um, <laughs> he, 
Yeah, they got a lot of money for Shane Long, and they made a profit on him. They essentially, just flipped him um, within a sh- very short space of time. But um, it's still, you know, re- regardless of whether you're making good money on on players you sell, if you then go and spend that money and more on on uh, on on Jake Livermore and, and Robert Snodgrass, you, um, I don't know, you, I'm not sure I'd be that happy if I was a whole fan. Um, even though, I mean, outside of that, what makes that more bizarre is that they've actually done quite a lot of good business away from those two deals. I think, um, I think, I think Diarmi is one of the Mohamed Diarmi is one of the most underrated players in the division. Um, I like. I've seen. Um, I've only seen Abel Hernandez play twice live in England, and he's looked like a very good player. Um, and. And yeah, it's Holler just a, a, a funny side because I remember writing at the beginning of the season, or, or shortly after, um, shortly after the summer window shut, that they were uh, they were one of the sides that were going to you know uh, uh, who were going to be in a sort of noticeable state of transition throughout um, two thousand and fourteen fifteen, and they've been really really poor. It's a, it's an odd one. I um I watched their game. Um, I watched their, uh, this you know, the Sky Sports 60-minute highlights um, of their game against Burnley. And it was just, I don't know. It's its really hard to put your finger on what, what it is that's wrong with them. They just seem like a, uh, I mean, they they were missing, um, they're missing Michael Dawson last, uh, two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I know, I know. It's it's really from that doesn't sound like a huge obstacle to overcome. But um, I've, I've actually got quite a good mate who's a Hull fan uh, for his sins. I, I always apologise to him for having to put up with that. But he was, he was incandescent with rage the day after I spoke to him after they'd lost to Burnley. Yep. And um, he just couldn't understand how they'd become so poor. They've been quite widespread uh, levels towards um, Bruce. This is a, a cycle that goes on with his managerial yep. record that he, he tends to do quite well and, and overachieve for a period with a new club. And then for some reason, that will give the, the club the the belief in him to, to allow him to have funds. And once those funds come in, the, the form seems to drop off. I don't know if he, if he then thinks a, a higher class of player will need less training or his input will be lessened by people coming in who are, who will perhaps play the game more freely than he's allowed his other players to do. But it's it's something that's happened with his career at various points. Happened at Sunderland too. I I, um, I don't know whether there's a technical reason behind it. I mean, I, I couldn't possibly speculate. But Steve Bruce to me is is um, is an example of, of, of a particular breed of English manager who you know, have a, a set of similar traits and that they have a hold over their squad for a certain period of time. In it, albeit in a kind of motivational way, um, and then after eighteen months, two years, two and a half years, there's a point at which you know a decline starts for whatever reason. It could be you know because of an incidental uh, incident or a uh, or a, a, a poor result, and then that type of manager fails to to, to arrest the nosedive. Um, now, Hull are not in a nosedive. It's not that serious. I, and also, I think the way we look at them is, well, the way I look at them certainly is against what may have been um, unrealistic expectation at the beginning of the season. But they're certainly, they're certainly adding up to less of the sum of their parts. And, um, and that's, uh, I don't know, that, that's, that is that's, it's kind of, um, 
it's it's a it's a Harry Redknapp quality. <laughs> it's it's a, an interesting comparison. Do you think, to an extent, just while you were you were talking, I was thinking about it. And do you think when he starts at a new club, he's obviously pragmatic enough to to play around with the tactics. Often last season, he'd, the season they were promoted, I knew they were they were quite heavily reliant on three at the back. They went to to four at the back when they came up, and then last season their good form came again when they went back to their more familiar formation do you think there's a, a case to be said that he sometimes is found out and then perhaps a, a tactical rigidity there which would buy into the red nap um comparison is, is sort of what happens he gets found out and his ability to to then adapt from that point on is what hampers him well possibly i mean if you're looking if you if you chart any kind of if you chart a lack of form against you know a um a formation change and temptation is obviously to say that there's a coaching problem there's a a structural deficiency somewhere someone within the coaching staff isn't doing their job and yeah i mean it's not it's not an unfair assumption to make definitely um i don't know if that's the case with steve reese i i i found the um it it's not i mean as you actually seen with qpr this season reverting to 442 when you step up a level is actually quite a smart move i mean you've seen how much you know qpr haven't you know, progressed over the last couple of weeks because because of any you know special red nap motivational voodoo or anything like that it's because he's simplified everything they do um and in Hull's case what was quite an effective structure has been um seems to have been compromised for the sake of this 352 he's been using um and it just looks like a I don't know it doesn't um they I remember there was um, they the game that kind of summed up their season for me was when they um, they played uh, West Ham uh, up up at the KC and um, and they were so bad defensively. All the things that were good about them last season, like Curtis Davis was one of the, I I would argue one of the best centre backs in the division last season, and he looked like a different player within a within a back three. Um, and it was it's just such a I'm sure there are outside I'm sure there's a, a very sound logic for for the change being made and I'm sure Steve Bruce could you know um, justify it um, uh, very succinctly but it just seems to have destabilized that part of the team and, and there's a sort of um, tentativeness within the within the defense which just which undermines what is a really good front seven I mean um, I, I know we, we, we mock and sneer at the Huddlestons and Livermores of this world. I've never had a Huddleston, to be fair. I've, I've always been somebody who's quite openly supported him um, for quite a while. I remember when he, he first made the move to Hull, I, um, I wrote an article about how if they were able to motivate him, then they'd have a fantastic player on their hands because I don't think his, his issues as a footballer I don't think have anything to do with the mobility that I think he's made perhaps a little bit too much of. Um, I think it's more mentality with him than ability. I think he's just, he doesn't buy into the fact that being a success is more than just having the ability. The attitude that goes with it and the hard work that's put there isn't something I've ever seen him do to a larger extent. He seems to go through peaks and troughs of form where he, he looks bothered in times when he doesn't. Yeah, I agree with that. I, 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 I mean, that's that's a really good point about Huddleston because I think that if you um, you remember when he first showed up at White Hart Lane, a lot of people said a lot of very complimentary things, and you know, I remember the, the Huddle comparison has been with him since you know the first time he um, he put on a Tottenham shirt, and there's this thing with it, it feels to me, and this may be terribly unfair, but it, it feels to me that Huddleston has been allowed to be as, as essentially just a luxury player, someone that. 
you know, you, you, you think of him and you think of this, you know, quite rightly, this glorious passing range. And there's never been any motivation, like you say, for him to kind of to to, to feather his bow in any way, to add anything else to his game other than that. Um, and it's a it's a strange one. I, I um, because he he. I mean, we we we. There is a. I I disagree slightly in the sense that I think there is a mobility problem because I think it makes him a huge liability in um, in defence. Um, and I I you know his size isn't a problem. I'd say his work rate is a bit of a you know. Um, He's, he's he's very effective when he has the ball, but you turn him around and you ask him to do, you know, if you if you ask him to be a, a principal holding player in a midfield, you, you you're not gonna I don't know. You're if you ask him uh, for trouble. <laughs> the, the reason I, I don't think his mobility is too much of an issue, um is because I think there are better players than him, obviously players like um, Carrick or Perlo, neither of which are quick, mm-hmm. but they play a similar sort of deeper midfield role in distributing possession. But what they do defensively is they read the game and yeah. they concentrate much better than he does. And through interceptions and breaking up play when it comes near them, they're a bit better and they never have to rely on being too quick, which is why Carrick's so good at dropping back into the centre of defence as well because he, he doesn't have to rely on his his pace too much. But when you were, you were talking about Huddleston, he, he almost sounds like the complete opposite to Jake Livermore because I think I don't think Jake Livermore's at all the most technically gifted player at all. I think his, his passion for the game and his hard work is what has made him a, a Premier League player because yeah. I remember when he went on loan to Leeds, he... The Leeds fans, especially the ones I I speak to, which tend to be the saner ones from from the bunch, to be honest, because yeah. the, the people I choose to associate with, um, they they just didn't rate him whatsoever. They, they thought he was a bit of a wallflower, and he um he, he was trying to get through a lot of work, but wasn't doing any of it particularly well. But he seems to have, have concentrated his energies at Hull and and made himself better than perhaps he can be. Uh, through just his natural talent, um, yeah. much like Gary Neville did, to be honest. Is, is that an attitude towards him that you, you'd subscribe to? A little bit, although I, I'd say that, that, I mean, there were signs of that, um, of his desire for the game when he was at Tottenham. I think the problem was for him is that where he was prepared to work at Tottenham and where he was prepared to be, uh, whereas he was prepared to be the kind of player he is at Hull now, he wasn't really given the opportunity to be a consistent part of the team. The difference at Hull is that if you as a if if you're playing that role in a midfield, I've always thought that continuity is a really important aspect. I don't think you can you can um, if your if your if your job description involves you know ball winning and general competitiveness. Is, is that a word? Maybe you know. No, I'll let you have it. You let me have it. All right, okay. Um, yeah. It's it's a southernism. It's what we all say. Down. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Hull, he is. He is allowed to if if you're if you're if, if if that is your principal role on the side and you're then having to step in and out of, of the team, it's incredibly difficult to 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 keep your game reading ability on an equilibrium because you know you're 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 having to adjust to um I don't know I I I, I don't know off the top of my head I don't know um I don't know his appearance statistics from Tottenham but he um he wasn't he was never considered a, a first team regular obviously. he played. Semi regularly for a period under Phyllis Boas. Yeah, um, I remember when, when Scott Parker had um, had issues and he wasn't. And there. Sandro was injured as well. He was the <laughs> he was the third choice there. And I remember he, he started very well and seemed quite comfortable for a time. But when the the impetus was put on him to do things 
more proactively passing the ball, more attacking and, and getting forward a little bit more. He wasn't perhaps under the under the instructions of the manager or, or otherwise wasn't able to do so. Um, he's shown a little bit more of that whole in fairness to him. He, he does get forward a bit more. He, he's a bit more box to box than perhaps he was allowed to be um, at our place. But just flicking through Hull's um, results from this season, they haven't really been like properly turned over by anyone. They've been there or thereabouts in every game they've played. They've only lost by a goal or two every time they've played. Um, and they've even got draws at draws at Arsenal and whatnot from from winning positions. Yeah. So they seem to be, they seem to be just as you were saying before when they play Burnley, just one or two things missing from them really kicking on. Do do you think that they're going to cause Tottenham any sort of problems on the weekend? I know given Tottenham's form, then pretty uh, much we could get ten friends together and give Tottenham problems at the minute. But do you think? That, that Hull are actually going to push us all the way on on Sunday. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I um, I've obviously seen a lot of the social media conversations that have gone on around this game, and and there's no chance that Tottenham go to Hull on Sunday and come back with a comfortable win. Um, they, if you look at what they have up front, um, then and if you look at sort of the current issues within the Tottenham defence, um, Carl Norton is suspended, um, and less said about the centre backs. I mean he, he, there's no there's no there's no back forward Tottenham could put out where you'd think, yeah, I feel good about that at the moment. Because it just doesn't exist. There's no I don't know, you you you've got a set of players who whoever starts, the all four of them are playing as as an individual. And um, I think it should be mentioned as well that although Kyle Walker has just rejoined first we're not team gonna training, see him for two or three weeks, I wouldn't have thought at least. I mean, even if he is rushed back, it it's should be, be it should be kept in mind that he has been rushed back. So if he doesn't have the greatest of games on his first comeback from injury, then he, he shouldn't be hung out to well, dry either. Also, I think it's fair to remember that I mean, as as always, when a player is injured for a long period of time, the, the temptation is to remember him as a slightly better version of himself. You know, when Carl Walker comes back from injury, he will still be Carl Walker. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you won't find a bigger fan of, than me of, of what he does in an opponent's half. But as a defender, he is still hopelessly naive at times. He compensates for for his lack of game understanding with his acceleration. And he's very much that kind of Glenn Johnson modern fullback who... I don't know. Just he, he, he's, you know, he he's not solving any defensive issues Tottenham have. He may solve some of the offensive width problems, but you know. Um, so yeah, when, when I mean, you, you would Hull haven't. I think Hull haven't scored for three games, and, um, and it's kind of similar to the Villa situation. You'd put your house on them scoring at least once against Tottenham, just because the way we defend now and um, the lack of understanding that seems to exist between Fabio and Vertonghen, or Kabul and Vertonghen, or Kabul and uh, Fazio. Um, there's just huge issues there. Um, and as I, said, I, I, I really like Hernandez as a forward. I think he's really smart. Um, I Hull have got quite a similar issue to Spurs in the sense that their games this season have been littered with individual mistakes. Um, if you think of you know, that West Ham game we, we talked about, but also um, that moment uh, when they, 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 lost, uh, they lost at home to Southampton to that Victor Wanyama goal from about 35 yards. And I kind of typified that season too because it's just a sort of, you know, uh, uh, just a, a completely unnecessary moment that has cost them all the points. Yeah, um, I mean, and it's just it, it was a very it's a very Tottenham way of losing a football game. That if you think, yeah. unfortunately, um, yeah. 
I think we actually conceded one very similar to that last season. Um, if you remember when we played Sunderland at home, uh, Lee Carmel oh, goal, people goal. Yeah, 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 scored yeah. from quite a way way out, doing a, a similar sort of thing. There was a, um, there was a, there was the um, the Carl Walker Hugo Lloris moment at Anfield uh, two years ago. When, Is that uh, only two years ago? It feels like it was longer. Yeah, it feels like ten, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was that was that was it was AVBB's first season. I think that was like the beginning of our form towards the tail end of that year because Vertonghen yeah, scored twice in that won. game, doesn't Liverpool didn't he? I remember I, I watched that game in India. Um, I was on holiday and uh, stayed up to watch it, and uh, I wasn't amused that we'd managed to shoot ourselves in his foot. We, I don't think we'd lost in about 10 games. Um, I think it was uh, perhaps just after we'd gone through uh, beating Inter Milan 3-0 yeah. at home uh, in the in the cup. I remember that period quite well because, I was, as I say, I was watching it in India. But with with Tottenham then, with the issues going on, if we're to slightly take a, a small step yeah. away from Hull... And you know what I said, I've enjoyed my international break and then... Talk, 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 not having to talk about this kind of stuff is exactly why. But go on, depress me. <laughs> the whole, you know, you know, the whole issue regarding the ownership around the club, the the players, the dissatisfaction yeah. with the progression under the new management, and uh, there's a some new bloke being nicked from uh, yeah. Southampton. Which, on a side note, they're taking really well. By the way, their, their fans are. They they don't seem bothered oh, yeah. whatsoever the fact that somebody else has come into Tottenham. Um, I don't think I can find one of them <laughs> online to pass comment about that. Um, um, Jack's had a very fun time of it, I think, uh, sending them tweets and uh, and goading them as much as he can. But in your opinion, I think I'm just trying to say, what, what do you make of the whole situation at present? Do you think it's it's understandable that the fans are, uh, are calling for people's heads in, in the hierarchical positions? Well, I, I or... think it, I mean... I, I, I mean, I mean um, it's understandable, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily right. I, um, it's happening because I honestly, that Stoke game, it, 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 this feels like the most negative period in a very long time. It's not because, you know, you, as a fan, well, most fans, I, I know there's a lot of, um, you know, overreaction nowadays, but most fans can tolerate losing. What they can't tolerate is this sort of confluence of negative factors which are afflicting Tottenham at the moment you've got a team that's underperforming you've got a set of players who uh, are raging against not raging against but you know talking out speaking out in the press about the level of sport at White Hart Lane um, you've got all the issues associated with the recruitment Baldini the use of the money that came from the bail sale uh, the level of the, the standard of the players that were brought in over the summer and you've got the lingering constant issues um that will always exist around Enoch and, and Levy. And then, you know, if you want to add it in as well, the, the melodrama with the stadium. And it's just, when, when, when that happens at a football club, fans rage because it's just so depressing. I think, though, you know, what, 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 what you have to... Um, the natural response is also to demand some kind of change in some direction. You know, when a football team isn't playing well, you say, right, sack the manager, get rid of all the players, buy new ones. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What Tottenham actually need is, and what I think a lot of fans are starting to recognise, which, which is which is healthy to see, uh, is that Tottenham, more than any other club in the country, in, in the Premier League at least, probably just really need a period of stability. And you can, um, you know, that that... There are players at the club who are not good enough, and yes, they have to be moved on. And you know, the, for 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 a financial as well as a, um, a footballing and, and technical reason, um, you have to. There has to be a point at which people, supporters who go to the games, supporters who watch on TV, see that even if the side isn't playing well, there is some kind of objective in the future which is being moved towards. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the dissatisfaction at the moment is that you don't know what you're seeing. Oh, so that, that Stoke game was, um, it was so bad that I didn't even have anything to write about it. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I, I'm not even trying to be funny. I, I just, um, the worst thing that can happen um, between a, a fan and their football club is the football club's ability, is a football club losing their ability to hurt the fan by being defeated. Because it's just, that's the point at which everything feels very, very hopeless. And um and Tottenham are just such a a disjointed mess. There's no there's no semblance of okay, well, you know, uh, that we lost that game because of this factor or that factor. It's just this general. We lost that game because we're shit in every sense at the moment. There's everything. Everything that can could be wrong with a football team is wrong with that Tottenham team. Um, and that's what would you expect the fan base to say? I mean, it, it's 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 incredibly disheartening. I'd agree with, with everything you say. Um, having kind of digested all of it and kind of looking on it now as I do a little bit more placidly as I may have done, say, a week yeah. ago, um, it just it sort of reminds me of the thick of it, um, <laughs> the way in which we, we're we calling for somebody's head. You know, the We're way just in without which any of the satire, the, the, without it being any way funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the fact that it's real life. The fact that we're, we're bringing a new... A minister in and sacking the old one and just putting as much press spin on it as possible. And if we if we could get cameras in there for like the trust meeting or something like that, I'm sure there's going to be 
some like Nicola Murray-esque moment from <laughs> Daniel Levy in there that he's going to say something he shouldn't do. You could probably make a, a, a decent sort of show in that sort of vein, an office-style vein based in a football club. I think the last thing that, that came close was probably uh, probably Dream Team, but that was more of a soap opera than Dream- a... In Dream Team, like five members of the first team would die every season. (laughs) Do you remember my favourite storyline was when there was a a sniper in the ground and he he shot the wrong ball? It it wasn't even in the ground, it was at Wembley in the playoff final. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there was the the player who, yeah, the bus was one, yeah, and then... Uh, what was his name? Carl Carl Fletcher. Fletcher, who didn't seem to ever want to retire. Yeah, uh, Carl Fletcher, whatever the actor's name was, he played Carl Fletcher, just couldn't find another job. He'd leave <laughs> Dream Team with like a kind of uh, two-fingered salute and I'm off to the big time to go and, I don't know, work in the Queen Vic and EastEnders. And then he'd, he'd sidle back a season and a half later, you know, uh, you know, after after the club had had a... After Harchester had had a, um, a striker crisis and he was drafted in from whichever... Brilliant. Love drinking. I have. Uh, I've actually got a a Harchester United shirt, which I'm sure makes you extremely you, jealous. You want Jack to edit that out after we finish with this? <laughs> in, in the glorious purple. Yeah, you know, you know, it's um, it's funny because it's um, in, joking aside, that is that is the perception of um, that I mean, without all the you know the the kind of um, the soap opera stuff, but the the, the level of melodrama within. Dream Team. It's not a million miles away from how we perceive Tottenham to be because it's just there is no, um, you know, it's this constant knee jerk between one one philosophy and another. It's just endless, perpetual cycle of ripping it up and starting again. And the result is you just never seem to go anywhere. And, and you know, Tottenham just sort of sit in this, I don't know, this confused model while all other clubs around us just progress. And it's just so. I don't know. It's sucking the joy out of it a little bit, um, and I, I, and and also you have these sort of weird side issues as well, like the 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 Harry Kane hyperbole and the sort of the the unnecessary pressure that's being put on him because the team is playing badly, and it just everything feels very um, yeah. I wish this international break could last forever. <laughs> forever. I, I know you've been making some some good insightful salient points there but throughout that entire conversation all i can continue to think of are ridiculous storylines from dream team, team. now it's crazy uh, it was wonderful it was such a good show it was um it was for people that aren't aware of dream team we should probably say i don't think it was all that popular i think it, it ran for about 10 years on sky one and it was about a, a fictional football team um that sort of tied in with sky's um growing football coverage at the time because it was sort of the very first year of the Premier League before it became the sort of beast it is now. I remember at the time there was a player that they fictionally signed on on Dream Team who actually became linked in, in the sun, <laughs> yeah. I think, with the move to Liverpool in real life, even though he was a sub character. So you can tell when the ratings were dropping as well because they, they parachute in a real player. So I think I, think, Do, I remember he had a dinner with Mario Melky at yeah. once, trying to sign him from Chelsea. And they tried to sign Dan. Um, they tried to sign Dean Sturridge once. It fell through from personal terms or something. But yeah, they they they, they pulled him in, and Ron Atkinson was on there, and yeah, it was. Uh, but it was um, it was always amusing as well because the the footballing, um, like the, the football scenes were made of 
like doctored images of actual <laughs> Premier League games. So you'd have you'd have like Harchester United scoring like the Tory Andre Flo volley for Chelsea, um, but they'd just coloured in the shirt purple and then done a close up of the player Stella in an empty ground later on. Well, the, the thing, as it went on, they got smarter. They wouldn't use. They would use. Because they used to use footage all from the same game. So you would know as soon as you recognise the goal what the end result was going to be. Over time, they started splicing together different games so that they, um, and actually they, they got better at the, instead of, it, it used to look like someone had just felt tipped over the shirt with, a, with, with purple um, when, you know, in a sort of moving, awful, like, uh, yeah. but it's, um, I don't know, I, I love Dream Team. It was, um, it was like, um, yeah, the younger people who don't remember it, it's like um, it, in The Sun. Um, when I was, I remember reading The Sun when I was about 14. Um, and they used to have a, a cartoon strip in there next to like the Dear Deirdre and the stuff that, you know, um, my mum is also my granddad. That kind of, that kind of. Dear Deirdre, I fancy you, mum. But they used to have a cartoon strip there as well. I don't know if it's still there, but. Um, and it was it was since you've you've grown older and wiser not to yeah well you learn a little bit about the um yeah yeah I, I, <laughs> you know you got you got to be able to sleep at night i think but you got to make sure you get off that um but you um yeah it used to be the sort of it was called um i think it was called striker and it was just sort of three little cartoon windows and and nothing would happen in it and you know games would take sort of 10 days to in in in, in real world time to um to to finish but it was um it was like that it was just immensely silly but fun um, excellent i think last time you were on we managed to slag off the daily mail and we can add the sun to our list now so then that's probably a, a good place to leave yeah yeah um, well, thanks for coming on again mate you, as, as we've said previously you're welcome on any yeah time. pleasure mate anytime thank you very much uh, you can hear me and seb soon on our own rugby <laughs> slash dream team podcast <laughs> where we will talk about nothing but rugby league and occasionally parts of rugby union um, and and the storylines of Dream yeah, Team, we, which I'm going to spend the rest of my evening trying to find online. Uh, well, you know, we can also talk about Up and Under as well. That that wonderful, uh, wonderful rugby league film. <laughs> that no one other than you and we I can. probably has ever seen. But, <laughs> yes. you know, it's still great. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks very much. Cheers, Rod. Thank you very much, Seb. Um, that was that was a good chat. A bit too much, bit too much egg chasing for my liking, Raj. Um, do you like do you like how I'm trying to keep up this pretense? I've actually heard what you guys are talking about, and it's not just that you've texted me saying we spoke loads about rugby and we're going to do our own rugby podcast, and then we had a bit of, bit of banter about that. Me and you enjoyed some banter together, didn't we? We did enjoy some banter. It wasn't prehistoric banter though. It was just banter. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Hull. Yeah, we, we spoke about that and uh, Dream Team at some length, uh, which I very much enjoyed, as you can probably tell from the excited state um, I, I spoke to him about. But yeah, Hull. Um, did you did you think we were going to win? Sorry, I just got distracted then, because I've been sent an email by the Labour Party with a, a, a subject title, which is, is it a pig, is it a lion? So I'm really looking forward to that piece. I want to know. What is it? Tell us now. <laughs> Sorry, the, the Labour Party. Yeah, is it a pig? Is it a lion? I want to know. It starts, it's sent by Grayson Perry. It's probably just going to be the Labour Party asking me to give them money, uh, which I, I won't do. Uh, it starts, hi Raj, um, I've been a Labour supporter my entire life and I really want to help out with the 2015 election. So I 
Designed this bag especially for Labour members and supporters like you. <laughs> Donate £19 or more to help Labour win the election and we'll pop one of these limited edition canvas bags in the post for you. Oh, good God. And it's a picture of a pig come lion with what looks to be Vote Labour tattooed on its stomach. So there's going to be somebody in the Tory party press machine who's going to do something about animal cruelty. Because if they don't, then they very much missed the opportunity to uh, to to hit the party with a stick with a, a branded animal at the end of it. But anyway, I'll, I'll have to probably tweet a picture of that out now. Um because we've spoken about it. But anyway, holy yeah, we, we sort of had a conversation around what they've been doing around Steve Bruce, um, about how he seems to <laughs> essentially do the same job everywhere he goes, where he starts really well, buys a lot of people once he's been at the board's trust, and then manages to fuck it all up in a very quick amount of time. Um, but, you know, they, they've got players that can call us, call, cause us problems. Uh, Abel Hernandez uh, is one of them. I imagine if, if you've got a £10 going spare, put it on Michael Dawson to score. Yeah. So I think he's he's coming back from injury and uh, the way in which he left the club and the fact that it would be uh, perfect given the uh, the dissatisfaction with our centre-backs for him to pop up and score in a 1-0 away win or something like that for them. You, you gotta, you gotta They're say, not away win. Sorry, I don't know if win. you guys spoke about this, but as much as people kind of, you know, he was much maligned last year, we could have done with doors on quite a few occasions this year, in my opinion. Um, not not necessarily. It would have been a. I think he he was moved on at a point where it was appropriate. I think uh, revisionism of that of that type is 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 a bit easy to be honest. It uh, is easy, but you know I'm going to do that, mate. Cause I'm <laughs> an easy kind of guy. Yeah, um, that's what she said. Hey, um, was that your mum? <laughs> you no, she she's got standards, Jack. <laughs> nah, um, I can tell you that she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> less of this yeah um i feel like we've spoken about me too much with my labor party emails and my mother um so less of that please um i feel how uncomfortable i how am many, like how many how many stools have you passed today raz a few i have uh, it i went for a, few. I, went for a I went for a i went for one pre-show because um I'm well versed in the fact that you used to go mid-show, so I have, <laughs> I have trained myself. If you ever listen to like the first season of this, like quite a few in, if there's ever a prolonged period where I'm talking and it feels like <laughs> I've run out of something to say, and then Jack will like cough or he'll like reappear out of nowhere, it's because he sent me a text, gone for a dump, and then come back through halfway because uh, his bowels are that of a vegetarian man, and when he needs to go, he needs to go. It's usually when I'm... Uh, I, if if I've had a, a, a bit of whiskey, if I've had a dram of whiskey before we were recording this, which I might say, I, I haven't been drinking, actually, this season. Not that I've got a problem with drinking or anything like that at all, just to make clear. But uh, in the winter months, when it's a bit colder, I usually have a little, little dram of whiskey when I get in from work. Um, what do you mean you don't have a drinking problem? You keep that... that- five-year coin in your wallet all the time. You, you quite proudly show me that. I don't think you should be ashamed of your problems, Jack. Uh, well, you know, I don't know. People are judgmental nowadays. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I really don't know where we're going with this. But let's, you know, we, we're going to... I think it's anything but talking about Hull, yeah, to be honest. I think, I think we're going to lose to Hull. I do, but, you know, there we go. 
then Cat. Oh, but I'll take it. We un- we only managed to draw there last season. I think Polino scored a- yeah. an equaliser after Shane Long uh, put them ahead very early on. I seem to remember they went ahead last mm. time, and it took us quite a while to to hit back. I'll take um, I'll take a draw. It's never a good game against Hull, is it? I can't remember us ever having a really good time against Hull. No. Um, I, I think Steve Bruce generally is a manager we've never really brushed aside. Yeah. I think he's very... Um, he he organises a side very well. Um, he's often, People often forget because he looks the way he looks now and he's quite a figure of fun because he's just seen as a jolly fat man just how good a player he was back in the day. He was pretty good, wasn't he? Didn't he, didn't he once score like 19 goals in a season for Manchester United? Fair enough, he was taking penalties, but that's ridiculous for a defender. He is. He was, he, he was fantastic. He makes his son look like a joke in comparison to how good he was. Um, and that's not often remembered, given that, you know, as we say, the state he's in now. Yeah. Right, well, fuck Hull anyway. Let's, uh, we, we did at the start of the, uh, start of the episode, I'm, we, we didn't talk about TV last week, so, and cultural things, so we're going to do it now. Because um, we record it, we give up our time, so we get to say what we talk about. Don't like it? Don't listen. Um, that sounds well confrontational, doesn't it? I'm not. I'm That's not. our listeners down to five this week. Yeah, thanks. For, <laughs> thanks season for, high. Thanks for hanging in there, Mum. Um, no, but serial. Uh, I, I, I want to talk to you about serial podcasts because we kind of we opened our show with a little homage to to serial podcast. Um, it gets nearly as many listeners as Rule the Roost does every week so far. Um, what, what have you been making of it, mate? I've, I've got I've got mixed feelings, mixed feelings about it. I quite enjoy it. Um, like I, I came to it about two episodes in, I think, quite early on. I was a fairly early adopter of it. Somebody told me about it. Okay. Um, quite early on, I listened to it. And uh, it's one that hooks you. It's one that you don't want to... Like stop listening to. Um, I find it quite interesting. I like the fact that that there are there's changes in it. I like the the narrative structure of it, um, and the fact that they're doing it quite traditionally, and that there's only one a week that's coming out. The story is one that I think if they are to do further series, it's entirely dependent on the case that yeah. um, that they're exploring. I, I find it fascinating this current one with the the inaccuracies of the case and. Especially that episode where are you fully up to date? I am indeed, yeah. Where Deirdre came in and she just kind of blew the whole thing wide open with her little um, input into what mm. they were doing. I'd, I'd, I'm conscious not to say too much because it's even though we we do take joy from giving spoilers for TV shows and things like that on occasion. Um, I don't want to spoil the podcast because I think it would ruin the enjoyment of actually. Yeah, yeah. Getting, but if can you actually like without giving too many spoilers away? If you give a like synopsis to people who aren't aware, you've got to have been like living under a rock not to be aware of uh, what this is. Um, because it's, it's, I think it's the biggest podcast or one of the fastest ever podcasts to reach as many downloads as it has on iTunes, and it's quite comfortably the highest. Um, highest placed one in the chart so if you give a synopsis as to what it's actually about rather than us just nattering on about a thing well it's essentially it's just a, 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 a an investigative i can never say that word how to say it? investigative yeah investigative there you go uh journalist who's found this it's not even a cold case it's a it's a, it's a solved case um of a young man who is well, not even alleged, who has been charged and found guilty of true story as well, has 
been found guilty of murdering his high school girlfriend in 1999. Uh, he's been in prison ever since, but you know the case was essentially rife with loopholes um, and just glaring kind of emissions in in what seems to be a fair judicial process. Um, so you, you have over the course of these episodes, this journalist, she's she's picking apart the, the case, you know, piece by piece. Um, and it's, it, I mean, it's said to be presented in a fact that, you know, each week she updates you with stuff as she finds it out. But I, I don't particularly swallow that, to be honest. I think they, they know a lot more and a lot, you know, given that you say like the structure is very precise and, uh, they, they they do lead the episodes in a particular way, and there are kind of segues per. Oh, episode. I think it's been yeah, I, th- yeah, I think it's been very cleverly put together in the, yeah. in the narrative of it. I think um, I think to an extent they're telling the truth in that at the time of mm. like when they've recorded the things, they're putting it together as if that's the only thing they're they're aware of. So there will be a very um, chronological manner to the way in which they they put them together, which I think aids the aids the process. Mm. If it, if it felt like they were. If it felt more like they were hiding something and they knew where it was going and that they were just leaking them out week by week rather than producing them on a weekly basis, it would perhaps feel a little bit more trite, but I, I, uh, the way in which yeah. they are doing it is, is quite well done. I think what... I mean, you can yeah. you can see through it, as you've said. You can see through yeah. it, but giving, suspending your your uh, your belief and cynicism that tiny bit is, is what they yeah. expect you to afford them. And if you do, it's it's well worth listening I, to. I think what, what, what's... What hooked me per se, because I'm I'm not I'm not head over heels with it, but it's like you say, it's kind of like now I'm now I've invested time to say like I think I got I listened to the first episode, thought this is you know it's it's kind of intriguing, and then after three episodes, I was kind of like, well, I've, I've got to listen now because I'm kind of I've invested enough time into this, but I'm still not completely loving it. Um, but I think what what is particularly intriguing about the cases as much as you can see the the main guy's name is Adnan um as much as you can kind of sympathize to him in that you know there's there's obviously a lot of um judicial kind of I I don't know I don't know if malpractice is the right word per se but it just seems as though this you know as to Sean Ravels you you kind of start to wonder how the hell this guy actually has been put away for a life sentence plus 30 years based on what they've actually got on him um, in terms of hard evidence in the respect that there was no DNA evidence um, and a few other kind of, you know, no, there's no actual witnesses to the crime. There's no video evidence or anything placing him at, at the scene of the crime. It seems to ultimately boil down to one person's word against the other. Which, and the one person, Jay, is one dodgy motherfucker. He is, but this is one of my problems with the show. This is one of my problems with the show, in that it's all coming from the perspective of the journalist. And she she does try to be impartial to an extent, but and she, she doesn't she doesn't make secret of the fact that she is rooting for Adnan and her agenda is to try and clear Adnan's name. However, the latest... I don't think she, she, I don't think she says that quite explicitly. I think she's she, In the latest one, in episode eight, she does say that as much as when she hears bad things about Adnan be I said, think she's disappointed because I think she would only go into it naturally if she yeah. thought that there was some sort of truth to the claim but, that he was innocent. Before we go into this too much, I just I want to say, though, the thing that keeps you hooked is that even when you kind of see that there are 
lingering doubts over Adnan, there is still always this lingering kind of thing, I think, that you just kind of see it like you, you can't ever with any authority say, well, he definitely didn't do it because... Yeah, and the thing is with, with Adnan as well, when you hear him talk, because he's quite often played through the phone from his prison cell, and um, I think she mentions in the show that she's spoken to him in person a few times as well, that he clearly... Not that he knows more than he's letting on, yeah, but he he, so. there's something about him that's not quite right. He's not too composed. You think, yeah, not that you think he's done it, not that you think he's a, some sort of um, sociological, uh, you know, what? not sociological, what, psych, what's it called? Like when a psychopath. Not a psychopath, what's the other one? A, a sociopath, sociopath. That's, the word, yeah. that's the word I was looking for. Apologies as my brain rumbled on then. Um, or that he's, he's like a sociopath that can hold it yeah. together and just lie to this extent. But there's some doubts over him and there's some doubts over the story against him. And you feel like there's something else there that you just can't, that nobody's speaking about yeah. that will come to light at some point through this series. I mean, I, I, I entirely believe that they're saying that they have no end date or like a full episode idea of how long mm. this is going to run for so it could it could be like a, a year long thing it could be like a two year two year long thing or like next week they could find a damning piece of evidence where they they pack everything up and go not as definitely him somebody's seen him somebody testifies to remembering that day and uh this witness is you know it's inconclusive proof that he, he actually did this and he deserves to be where he is for the amount of time that he is mm. so i think that being being hung in a balance like that is something that TV shows strive for, and uh, something that you know. I think the fact we're talking it, about replicates. it at, at such length now, without actually even giving anything away, um, shows you that yeah. it, is, it is captivating, and it's you know it's probably worthy of your time. I mean, I did for I did I did have for. A There's few a seconds. lot of information to take on board. There is there is a lot, and I, I sometimes find it hard when I'm like because I'm trying to listen to it when I'm at work some of the time. And I'm, I, it's, it is quite hard to concentrate on that whilst you're doing something else as well, I find. You do have to probably, to fully appreciate it, sit down and actually dedicate yourself to just listening to it. Um, yeah. Which I do on the on the ride to and from work. But when I'm listening to it at work, I kind of probably don't get as much from it as I should. But it's definitely worth a listen. Um, you don't need us to say that think, because um, it's, it's got millions of yeah. listens. So. I think with your your trepidation towards it, the thing that might um, might be holding you back from actually really liking it and the thing that we're probably feeding into is the fact that it has now such a hype around it that there might be a case where it is getting too big for its own boots in that the hype is a bit too much for what it actually is. Like people might be yeah, selling it as yeah. perhaps too good and then people will inevitably get caught up within the hype of how good it is and... And things, um, it's almost like a podcast version of Harry Kane, really, that there's some <laughs> people who will who will take it very seriously and, and say it's very good. And then there'll be some people who aren't so sure about it because they've they've only come about. But I think I was quite lucky in that I, two episodes in when it, it wasn't even top of the podcast charts when somebody, like, turned me Look, towards stop, it. Stop, stop, stop dropping the fact you listened to it before the hype, Raj. You've done that, like, three, four times now, you yeah. It's because I'm a hipster. Yeah, hipster. Uh, no, but I, the, the point I was trying to make is because I I, know. I wasn't aware of the hype. 
it was it was kind of yeah. like you know, oh what is this this is really good and that that first episode's really long it's like 40 minutes saying that 40 minutes compared to how long we fucking talk for it's it's quite short to me yeah that's true it's um it's, 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 you can probably listen to it in in one sitting compared to us but it's um it's it's really well done i, I think and um it's quite quite enjoyable it's a it's a different take on the podcast genre compared to most people one of the things i would say though that that really i struggle with and i honestly do struggle with i think it's sarah kerning isn't it the the host or the narrator yeah it's sarah kerning there's so much so much saliva in her mouth so much saliva you have a a strange thing with this because i remember i spoke to you once about i think it was the empire film podcast you you pick (laughs) up on like their their voices being odd i think it's your ocd thing is like the way in which people sound on like recordings i don't have that whatsoever i mean I've, I've never picked up on her wet mouth as you called it earlier um i've never never really had a second thought in my mind never mind the first one so um it was uh it was a surprise to me when you mentioned it I think it's just, just too much of the you know they're like the kissing the noise when she's talking and it like it Really irritates. I think I've got quite sensitive ears, though. Like my, my missus always laughs at me because when like police cars, ambulances, and things go past, I always have to cover my ears. Like it really hurts my ears when when kind of sirens go past. And she always pisses herself at me. Like apparently it's really funny. You sound like a child on firework. Well, do, do you know what I mean? But it, it hurts my ears. Like maybe I, you know, I've just got delicate, delicate ears. I don't know. But oh, bless you. I didn't think I didn't ears. think it was that weird. But you know, does she like? Slap you in the ears when she's annoyed with you and stuff like that. Um, uh, no, um, she she will do things like whisper in my ears though, because she knows. I I think I may be. A I bit, don't want to know about this. To be I'm honest, a, I don't. I don't get where this. No, is going no, to it's. I, I think I, I just sort of triggered in my head what I could be. I could be like, have you <laughs> have you ever seen the something about Mary? Yes, Frankenbones. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he doesn't like people touch his ears. Maybe that's me. I look a bit like him actually, so could be. Um, also, what was it you wanted to see? Oh, yeah, The Missing, Jimmy Nesbitt. Yeah, that's on, that's on BBC, yeah. Do you know what? I, the guy at Cold Feet. Are, are you liking it? It's interesting, yeah. It's pulled me in. I quite like the uh, the guy, the, the Frenchman with the most inconsistent limp on television. But he's, he's good. brilliant. He's a good actor, isn't he? Yeah, he's really good. Like, I, I quite like these things with the, the mixed casts of... Yeah. Um, I, I think it's quite obvious that um, the bloke out of the... Guy Ritchie films has done it. He's I'm, or at I'm, least heavily involved. Yeah, I nailed my colours to the mast on him after the first episode because yeah. um, it was you and uh, all the other lad called that told me to watch it. Billy T. Yeah, Billy that said to to watch it. Safe Billy, Specific, specifically so that we could talk about it on this year. Um, but I am enjoying it. It's, uh, it's reasonably well done. It's it's very BBC in that uh, if it was on any other sh- network uh, any other time, if it was a if it was a HBO program, if it was on a, even on Sky One, there would be tenfold more swearing from Jimmy Nesbitt than Nick Hornby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the situation he's put in, um, I think if I explain what it is, um, if you're familiar with the. I'm not even taking a piss here. I'm actually giving a synopsis. If you're familiar with the Madeleine McCann case, it's essentially very similar to that, but set in France. 
Um, so there's a family who goes to France and a wife who I'm actually strangely attracted to on a side note in in, in her present day form with the black hair I actually kind of like, a lot more attractive than I do when in the flashback sequences but that's just a side note <laughs> um, and uh, keep an eye out for that and um, and they have one son who's um, five at the time of recording. I think so, yeah. yeah five Something five like at the time at the time of not recording at the time. I'm making it sound like it's real life. At the time of when the abduction takes place and the abduction actually takes place on the night of the France Brazil game in Germany two thousand and six. So the timeline actually works for now. And um, there's flash forward sequences and um, to the present day, and there's flashback sequences to like the time in which he was abducted, and uh, it essentially like it follows the the narrative path that abduction start of uh, stories do in that you know, marriage broken down and things. Like that. I don't think anything like that is a spoiler, and uh, there are people involved who you won't think like uh, Rebus is there, isn't he? Ken Scott. Um, did you ever see him playing Detective Rebus? I, I, um, no, I didn't. Of the, it's famous of the Ian Rankin novels. I, no, I watched him in The Vice, though. Um, I, uh, I, I do like Ken Stott, though. He's a very good actor. Yeah, and I, I know him best as Rebus, because I, I used to read those books quite a lot when I was younger. Because uh, they're quite, quite good, you know, well-put-together crime books, in all honesty, the, the Rebus novels. There's an awful lot of them. And they're all named after uh, Rolling Stone songs as well, I believe. Um, each and every one of them are Rolling Stones references, uh, which is a, a cool little tidbit <laughs> if you're sad like me. Um, but it's really well done. Uh, it's, I think it's only eight episodes long, and there's three being aired at the minute. I think the fourth one goes out tonight on the BBC. So I'm not sure if it's on like BBC America or whatnot. But if you know the the dark places to go on the internet to uh, <laughs> cure these type of things, then uh, it's there because I've been to those places and acquired it. So um, it's it's well worth getting into. Um, I quite enjoyed it. I, I feel a bit sorry for silly. I feel a bit sorry for Jimmy Nesbitt because uh, he's clearly like the tortured soul character in the the centre of it, who's going to come out and be redeemed at the end of it. Um, and there's the the shady, bearded, brown journalist who, if you want to try and think he's me, then you can. But he looks nothing like me. Uh, he's a lot less handsome. He's really annoying. He's the, he's the lad out of Four Lions, isn't he? Um, yeah. The guy who does the Mujahideen rap in Four Lions. But as a side note, again, if you've never seen Four Lions, it's genuinely a film that I feel I could have written. Not as well as it has when it was written, but it, the humour in that is often the type of thing that I joke about quite often. It's, um, it is hilarious. It's like a... What would you call it? A satire on... On terrorists, I suppose so. It's, it's kind of it's, a, but it's I don't know. It's 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 a masterpiece. Four lines. It is it. fantastic, and it probably I don't. It doesn't seem to be talked about as much as it as it should be. Really, I guess maybe because it's believe you me, between between my friendship group, it is talked about nonstop. It was one of it. It probably is the film we quote the most out of any. Like um, the other day, me and my mate uh, Creasy went out for a pint and we were just having a chat and uh, our mate, we were rang our mate Ben um, to see if he was coming or not and he was out at the minute uh, shopping and he'd just bought a bottle of bleach. We're like, oh, what have you <laughs> bought? And he said he bought a bottle of bleach. So obviously me and Creasy then continued while he was on the phone to run through the entire sequence where uh, 
Brother Fassel goes and buys 24 bottles of bleach and covers his face. <laughs> and then, Fassel, what voice did you do when you bought the bleach? I didn't do my own voice. I, d- I did my IRA voice. Why did you do an IRA voice? They're terrorists. But I think Barry is one of the funniest things in that. Barry, what would you bomb? Let's bomb the mosque. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, if you've never seen Four Lions, you've, you've got to watch it. It's one of the the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But also makes some very salient points as well. Um, oh, it does. I think that's that's the genius of it, the fact that it manages to... I think with all satire, the fact that it manages to make a point while it is uh, while it is taking a piss quite openly as well. The fact that they kill Bin Laden by shooting a bazooka the wrong way. <laughs> seems like something you'd joke about, but is actually in the film. It's not a large part of the film, but it's it's very well done. You You should should watch that if, I'd, I'd actually encourage you to go through the proper channels to buy that one rather than stealing it because it's a quite a small production that film. and support uk cinema that's always a good yeah our, the, uh, our creative industries get fucking raped enough as it is so yeah yeah the support they can get i would say i mean steal from the bbc all you want because that money's just going to a corrupt government but if you want to <laughs> if you want to give the money to people who are actually making quite good cinema then uh I feel you should. Speaking of cinema, if you and uh, Charlotte are going to uh, Orange Wednesday tomorrow, as I know you often do, uh, Nightcrawler is very, very good. I saw, I saw it weeks ago, mate. I saw it on oh, his, did you? Yeah, I saw it on like, its opening day. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's really, really good. I went on my own um, the yesterday and uh, watched it at That's lunchtime. A parallel, parallel yourself between you and the, the main character. Cinema on his own, watching a film <laughs> about a, a creepy loner. God. Yeah. No, but it's uh, it's, it's great for me. Yeah, definitely go and watch. Yeah, Jake it. Hall. I think um, it's fantastic. I think we're gonna watch. So it. is the guy out of Four Lions. That's a yeah. strange, strange thing. Uh, Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed. He's, he's, he's very good, good in it. He, he's a good actor. He was um, he was in another film called Shifty actually, which was a uh, it was it was a bit naff, but it was still a fairly decent UK. Yeah, film. I think it was that was that was well acted. I think the, yeah. the characters were a bit you know, laid on a bit thick compared to perhaps they would have been if it was written by anyone better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind um, of, it was a bit like, you know, this is generic Asian rude boy. This is generic white rude boy. This is generic black rude boy kind of thing, wasn't it? But it was still, you know, it was enjoyable. You can tell it was better than the likes of kid adulthood and stuff. I thought anyway, but there you go. I think kid adulthood was as, as a one piece kid adulthood was all right. Like the, there are there are parts of kidhood which are okay. I yeah. think it's very London centric. I don't think anyone outside of London can really buy into it too much. I, I, remember, I haven't watched it because dire though. Did you see that? Yeah, I remember that one. And then um, that's the one famously. No, I think is it kidhood or one of them where somebody hits someone with a baseball bat and yeah. then he stands up and goes, "Are you dizzy, blood?" <laughs> which was then quoted at high school because that's when it came out when I was in high school. That that line was quoted quite often. <laughs> like whenever would someone shoot wide when we play football at like lunchtime or something, everyone would turn around and go, "Why are you shooting? Are you dizzy, blood? You fucking dizzy, blood!" <laughs> yeah. Um, um, as yeah, in our northern voices, taking the mick out of these southerners saying stuff like that because we just do not speak like that up here. You you don't very you you don't get anyone. I think. The, the sorts of places you get people who are talking are the sorts of places where the likes of Aaron Lennon grew up. I was going to say, the Lennon brothers rough. give it a go, though. I, I don't think they're putting it on, though, knowing the areas in which they come from. Little they are London. very, very rough. Which is, uh, they don't come from London. Little London is yeah, where they come from. That's what I'm saying, actually. Little London. 
All right. Um, yeah, it's um, that's why I'm always I'm always pleased to see Aaron Lennon do well. Um, I'm always happy to see him captain and things like that because to see him do well from where he's come from is um, is, is quite a nice little uh, success story from 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 my opinion anyway. Shame we're probably going to sell him. That we I think we probably are going to sell Aaron, aren't we? But I, um, I would I'd like to see him. I'd want to give him another. I think he's, he's actually ten years at the club in the summer. Um, it marks like ten years. Uh, or testimonial type, so I'd want that to be marked. I wouldn't want us to sell him before he's actually reached that landmark because I think mm-hmm. it'd be a shame. Because I can't see any of our. I don't think there's anybody close in our current squad that is either that is either you know good enough to warrant being at the club for ten years, or looks like if they'll become good enough to stay at the club for ten years that they'll actually want to. So I think it, just to have that one last person to hang our hat on would be nice. He's somebody that splits opinion. I think he, he alienates quite a lot of people with I think with his demeanour and with the way he behaves. But I, I I have a lot of time for him. I think I'm probably biased in that sense. Much in the much in the way I'm with James Milner. It's yeah. It's, it's Jordan Lennon, his brother, his Twitter bio that you didn't you uh, you buoyed me off about, which was life isn't about the breaths we take. It's about the moments that take our breaths away. Exclamation mark. Proper deep. Your boy, it's deep. Your boy is deep, man. Yeah, he's, he's making a good point there. I can't see why you have any problem with somebody wanting to be inspirational towards their followers. There you go. Um, I was going to uh, I was gonna read out my, uh, my article that <laughs> I wrote for the website when I was coming oh, home. Oh, you told me about this when you were oh, drunk. Obvious, yeah, but I don't think I will. I will save it for another day, perhaps. Um, it might, yeah, even, that, might even be funny if you actually read it out. Um, if you want to send it me, yeah, like, what we can do is like we can just tack it on to the very end, so we can put the theme music in, play a bit of hookworms as we do, and then I'll I'll read it out afterwards Perhaps, and yeah. tack it on to the very end oh for anyone that is interested in. Because I haven't seen it, I don't know what you've written, so you will you'll be hearing me read it for the very first time. That might be quite funny because it was one of those things. I, I was in the moment, and I I was writing this thing on the on the last tube home, just on notes on my phone. I don't want to spoil the ending or anything, but. Uh, yeah, when I read it back the next day, um, suffice to say, it didn't even it didn't even make it as far as my email account. And given the quality of writing you sent me previously, <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> but I think that's probably we've probably exhausted uh, exhausted our listeners today, as we often do. They all left about an, half an hour. Yeah, that's ago, true. That's they? true. We're actually just talking to talking to oblivion right now. But um, if you are still listening and you are interested in hearing any of the previous episodes, if I was to direct you to one in particular, please have a listen to our... I'm, I'm, I'm not just begging you to listen to it, I think, because it's genuinely, it's it's a great piece. Um, we want as many people to listen to it as possible, not for numbers, not for cheap publicity, just because it is a genuinely brilliant piece, um, something of which we're very proud. Listen to our Discrimination in Football special. Um, it is an evergreen thing, so just track it down on iTunes or on the website. Um, we tweet it out sporadically. Um, so, yeah, be sure to have a listen to that if you are at a loose end for something to listen to. But you can, of course, listen to all the other previous episodes of Rule the Roost on iTunes and on the Spurs Statman website, um, which is spursstatman.com. Um, you can follow us at RTRSSM and also be sure to follow the boss man JP at Spurs Statman. Um, Let's hope we can get back to winning ways. Come on, you Spurs!
here now. Jack's just te- text me his um, his his article that he alluded to previously. Um, he's actually listening in silently as I read this out because he doesn't want himself to be recorded as I as I read this out. Um, from a beef scan, if you are adverse to the themes of drinking and drug use, then I'd. Uh, not, not listen any further, but uh, I'll just read it out the bit. I mean, it's the first time I've ever read this through uh, fully, uh, unedited. It starts at a point where I had to actually check it started here because it, it, I'll, I'll just dive in. It starts, <clears throat> should explain that I've written this under the influence of vodka, beer, nitrous oxide and skunk. I'm currently sat on the Piccadilly line from Wood Green to Hammersmith, which if you've ever travelled, you will know this is a fucking mission. (laughs) I'm typing this on my iPhone into the notes application with a drunken rabble of students, middle-aged men in suit, and similar malcontent-looking 20-30-somethings on the last tube home. Not being a habitual I think that's supposed to say because it says S not being a habitual smoker anymore my response to the weed I've been smoking tonight is probably far stronger than if it were a few years back a time when I smoked at least two joints a day (laughs) oh Christ I started to consider what made me happy in life why I chose to live my life the way I do in order to best increase my happiness which then turned my mind to spurs I wondered when we'd get out of time because we've 300 words in now. Such a huge part of my life that almost for forever has made me unhappy, stressed and feeling let down. Having This reads like a suicide note. Having the feeling that I'm probably more miserable and cynical now as the carefree, happy-go-lucky chap of yesteryear, I wondered how this happened and why. I put this down to the nature of our existence through our conscious thought pathways. Somebody watched too much True Detective. I know, I'm sounding really weird at the moment, (laughs) don't worry. Moments as a youngster were more magical because they are unwoven drops in time. He's he's obviously watched Interstellar as well. As we grow older, we develop an understanding of the outlying tapestry which allows, allows us to see the predictability of these moments, thus making them less special. When we are adults, we look into things like sport as we lack unpredictability in our lives. Despite the sometimes obvious nature of sport, i.e. Man United to beat lower league opposition, there's always a hope that, relatively speaking, when compared with a lottery win or being molested by an animal, it is not so far-fetched that it couldn't happen. This means our thirst for something unpredictable can still occur. And we need spontaneity in order to feel that life doesn't truly end in the likely negative way we perceive that very little ever changes and we slowly deteriorate and fade in, fade away into nothing. We need hope as a notion to be reaffirmed by the occurrence of the unexpected. By supporting Spurs, remember it is about Tottenham, not Jack's life in general, by the way, I'd, I had forgotten at this point. Um, by supporting Spurs, we increase our feelings of hope. We up the odds of us ever winning the league over, say, someone who switches allegiance to a more successful team. We yearn for the massive reaffirmation of a win, for a heroic performance over a rival who is far more powerful than ourselves. To say I'm alive, that that just doesn't make any sense. The, the unlikely can happen. Not everything is certain. Come on, you Spurs. Just rewind that and listen to it again, because I'm going to have to read that a few more times for it to make sense, but um, I'm genuinely not sure what what he was going on about there. 
Uh, but thank you very much for hanging on to the show for this long. And if you ever need an advert to neither smoke, drink too much vodka or take drugs, then, then that was it. Uh, ta Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 